Welcome to Saltivation. The Saltivation Show is a podcast series featuring the leading voices in salt, where we talk about the issues and strategies to help you make sense of state and local tax. What do you think about the investee allocation cases? You know, the uh, VAC, uh, VS Holdings out of Massachusetts, Goldman Sachs, New York City, uh, Metropolis out of California. It's changed the game. And it's, I tell people this, I've been doing this long enough where it was, every statute was written as the intangible that you sell, ownership, stock, partnership, S-corp, whatever, resides in the back, wherever your cor- corporate domicile mm-hmm. is, right? So I've got gain on selling an intangible asset. It's commercial domicile. And what we've seen over the last year and a half, two years maybe, is this shift to investee, mm-hmm. right? It's not where I'm located. It's where the business is located. And the fallacy there is that the value may be generated by the business, but the thing that was sold, the asset that was sold, is just ownership of the business, not the business. And I fail to see the legal argument that the sale of an asset is the same thing as sale of the thing that owns the mm-hmm. asset. And yet the states are treating them the same and they're winning. And I think the reason why is because it makes sense that nuance between intangible and tangible is kind of fading in the court's minds. And it's like, well, the business, the assets themselves generated the profit. But if it was a building and you sold a building in Chicago, Illinois would tax the heck out of it, right? It's asset located Mm -hmm. here. They get 100% of the gain. I'm not sure why it changes with intangibles, but we're starting to see the states push back. And you know, we've had some minor wins, but there are states have a lot of major wins in this case. And they're getting there in different ways. But I do see that as kind of a 2024 issue, the continuation of pushing out. It's not in an, it's business as usual. Where was your business? If I sold it day one of the year, if I sold it last day of the year, middle of the year. Doesn't matter in, in Michigan, again, why the Vectrum decision is so offensive to me is that it's an extraordinary year. And yet they're saying, we just look at the snapshot, 2017, 2019, whatever the year was, that's all we care about. What you did before doesn't matter. What you do after doesn't matter. We're going to look at this right, year. Even though 20 years it. of activity led up to me being able to sell my business for $90 million or whatever it was, or have $90 million of goodwill, it doesn't matter. Right, no, think about Arm & Hammer baking soda, right? We used to use it a little pinch in our recipes. And then all of a sudden, they figured out that if you put it in your refrigerator, it's, it absorbs all the bad smells, right? Completely revolutionized that business mm-hmm. right, for baking soda. And all of a sudden, everybody's got Arm & Hammer baking soda in their refrigerator to keep the smells out. Well, that, you know, that does not historical just you know it, it, it's just a, a one-time event it changed the things and yet that's treated as just okay that whatever your sales went up we're gonna look at what you were doing on the first 364 days of the year not on the last well, it's day frustrating too it's like there's the position right like you said you know we are here to argue two sides of a case the state has the same ability and could do the exact same thing for an out-of-state taxpayer that's like oh well or an in-state taxpayer that, you know, regardless, there's there's the contrary that the state can change their position on reasonably, and they will. Yeah, and that's, that's extremely frustrating, and, and, and I don't accept this as an answer. We're going to argue both sides of the mm-hmm. case, and we're going to let the courts decide, right? States should have a position that they, 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 the statutes written by the legislator, signed by the governor, 
Department of Revenue issues bulletins, notices, regulations explaining it. There's got to be some culpability. There's got to be some responsibility that this is your position. Tell me your position. You're charged with, and this gets into deference, right? Departments of Revenue are charged with knowing the most about their own statutes and regulations. And because of that, they're given deference, okay? If they if they take alternative positions, then deference should mm-hmm. be gone because they're saying, I don't know, go either right. way. Well, then you shouldn't be the arbiter, the final arbiter, the interpreter that's entitled to 55% burden versus 45% burden, right? They shouldn't be entitled to that because they haven't made up the Well, mind. and you don't obviously see the litigation if the state isn't asking for more. <laughs> I mean, if everybody agreed right. that you all lost, then we wouldn't be fighting right. about it because in the end, it's about a state taking a position to have more than maybe they, you know, people perceive they're entitled to. So it is them taking the possession that's in their best favor, which isn't always the best based on the facts of the taxpayer or the law as written. <laughs> right. But, and, you know, we don't have a lot of tax people in their drafting no. statutes. That's one of our issues, right? And so the, the Scriveners or the, the writers of these things try to do a good job, going to give them credit. They do a lot of it right. But words are so important. And in the tax world, hey, just think about this. I was just explaining to one of my young people, the difference between apportionment and allocation isn't necessarily true because legislatures use both words. Right? Allocate. Allocation, mm-hmm. right? Their use of allocation is really apportionment because they're looking at three mm-hmm. factors. So, you know, that lack of uniformity among the states is also something that we're responsible for. We've got to fight through that. Yeah, composite versus consolidated. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that are not always clearly understood, combined, consolidated. Like, I don't think a lot of practitioners always understand that. And certainly people who are preparing tax returns are not always attorneys. So there's just a, di- a very different mentality there. So interesting. I thought of some of those things, but it's very true. I, I, let, I had a conversation last week with a Pretty seasoned accountants. And you, you, you guys will laugh at this. Meredith will laugh at this. It was a conversation that you may have had a dozen times last week. Was okay. There's public lady six two seventy two out there, but a state's adopted economic nexus, and they've adopted the MTC five hundred thousand dollars of sales, fifty thousand dollars of property, fifty thousand dollars of payroll. Well, what if I go over five hundred thousand? Am I subject to tax? Well, what do you do? I sell tangible personal property remotely. Then you're still protected by eighty six two seventy two. It's, it's, to me, it's clear as completely clear, but there's so much confusion out there because these statutes are saying, if you have this, and it doesn't say paren unless protected by 86272, mm-hmm. which is if you have $500,000 of sales, you're subject to the yeah. income tax. And seasoned accountants, not necessarily state and local tax people, but seasoned accountants preparing returns are still confused by that lack of uniformity and lack of, of clarity that no, the because there's this, Like I was saying, this um, the sets problem. Every city in Colorado that wants to participate in our sales use transaction system has to have a yeah. Wayfair statute because if you have nexus at the state, you have nexus in our city. It doesn't matter what the threshold is in the city. It just matters at the state. Well, if you read that law straight up, you think I have to comply. And so they can use that to enforce even if the overriding situation is all cities aren't playing ball yet. Who knows that part? Yeah, oh, it's the secret. I want you to roll out, roll out with all your power, with all your persuasive powers. I need you guys to go out there to every local jurisdiction and say, "Hey, if you want a wafer statute, wafer standard, adopt it." 
Just adopt it. Tell us what the rules are. Silence isn't going to, or tell us we follow state law and everything or something or for next, just do something. Give us a clue because without the clue, we don't well, right, know. Right, because didn't, didn't Chicago do that within the last couple of years where they said, all right, well, Illinois got it. The city of Chicago is going to have their $100,000 threshold on their... Yeah, which did make it easier. Well, well you know, that's a great point and I've applauded the city of Chicago for doing it. I believe, I forget now, it was July 1st of 21. It was a go forward, safe harbor, $100,000. But then in audit, they would go back to 2016 and try to enforce it. And you would compromise based upon October 1st of 2018 when, when the city or adopted when state it. Or the state adopted it. Yeah. Because they said, well, it, we really didn't create a new standard. It kind of looks like a new standard. Well, and I don't us, even know how so city can address anyway. It's not, the Wayfair decision is not for cities. It's for the states. So I don't know, you know, but who's yeah, going to take no. that up to litigate it, depending on the money? Depending on the money. Right. So I applaud City of Chicago. They were out there. They wrote a bulletin and then kind of backtracked <laughs> a little bit and didn't follow the words. California or Colorado, too. It's very art. Probably. It's disheartening, I would just say. <laughs> California, Colorado, Chicago, Cook County. We could just, maybe it's just the C yeah. words. We're going to avoid all the C words. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Jurisdictions are I mean, if there's pain. anything else to take forward right. with you, they're just, that's it. But we will <laughs> kind of, <laughs> as we wrap up, and you, Jordan, you had kind of mentioned this at least towards the kind of gain, a alternative apportionment, anything you hope continues to be fought, litigated, brought more attention to for 2024 going forward? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple of decisions that I think have to be done. Certainly the Amazon versus South Carolina decision as to whether a marketplace is responsibility. And maybe they get into defining what it takes to actually have property in a state. That's the ultimate goal there. Now, in, in some ways, the retroactive application of marketplace may apply. I don't think it does. I think they're really getting into ownership, what it means. And for a long time, we've always thought that, you know, I, I remember this uh, with my older brother. We'd have a football and be my football and he would take it and go play with his friends. And I go, but that's mine. He goes, no, no, possession's nine-tenths of the law. We used to throw that out all the time, right? Didn't even know what it meant. Eight years old. My career in law was already started. <laughs> possession's nine-tenths of the law. Didn't know what it means. But possession might be nine-tenths of the law, right? Because if you look at the marketplaces, they have possession control. I've got ownership, but if it's in their warehouse and they've got risk of loss and they control what it could be sold for and then where it could be sold and what they can do with it, maybe you got to add all those things up. Mm -hmm. So I think that the South Carolina v. Uh, Amazon decision is going to be important as defining what ownership is and therefore owning, defining what physical presence is and property is. I think that's going to be a really important decision. I don't know that Comcast v. Maryland, which we talked about, anything will happen in 2024, but ultimately 25, 26. We'll get some decisions there about digital advertising, apportionment, fair apportionment, the impact of the Internet Tax Freedom Act, what is protected, what is not protected, the whole discrimination clause, can you discriminate against the Internet? You guys, Wayfair v. Lockwood, right? Lakewood. That's me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't read my right. Oh, well, okay. Um, I, I got to clarify this one. I thought this was a retroactive Wayfair application case. But we just had the attorney representing the city speak at a task force meeting last week or the week before, and they had physical presence. That's what the facts say. 
So I'm like, wait a minute. I thought this was retroactive enforcement of Lakewood, you know, having a, have a Wayfair law. And it's, oh. they haven't done all the deposition. There's still fact finding to be done. But well, if it, there was a physical presence, either their own trucks, deliveries, things like that, that's a different set of facts. Contractors, you can sign up to have someone in, build your microwave cart that you bought yep. from Amazon to kind of like Ikea. So, but it's, it's physical well, presence historically. Possibly. Okay, I, I have a... I have a question about that. And I get asked all the time about independent contractors performing services if they're paid for by the customer, uh -huh. not by the company. And I, my, my um, comparison is I'm very fortunate here in Chicago. I get hired by people outside of Chicago to litigate a case in Texas, in Oregon, or in New Jersey, New York. Does the fact that they hire me as an independent contractor and I'm performing services for them in the city of Chicago mean they're subject to tax in Illinois? I'm an independent contractor. Mm -hmm. They're paying me to perform yep. services in the state that they benefit mm -hmm. from, and they may benefit from it here. I always argue that no, professionals doing their job does not necessarily create physical presence. Independent contractor, some of the large department stores that sell things, they don't hire, they don't have contractors. They've got independent contractors that they have a website for, or they've got tear sheets yep. on. We don't install garbage disposals, right. but here are some people that right. do. And you call them up and you can track with them separately. Does that create physical presence in a state? I, you know, I, I'm not sure that it does because if so, all of the service providers that we represent, that we are, create nexus for everybody we do perform services for. I, I think that's a real push. I think that's a real tough well, thing. Well, even I think of you trade know, show nexus, right? Just because it happens to be in Nevada or anywhere else for that matter. Why is that enough to say you have nexus? I mean, fortunately, we have a few laws that say not, but still, right. like right. people do things wherever they want to do things. I mean, that's not necessarily you're trying to build a market there. That's just a good location for people to come see your stuff. So I think that's a really interesting area that we're going to see uh, grow because you're just seeing more things, more places that really have nothing to do with a physical presence. Like I'm not really going here to build the market in this particular city or state. I'm just happen to join in with everybody else. And that'll bring a bunch of bodies in to see my stuff. So I don't know. And you're purpose, purposeful. Right. Is right? That? That's what it gets to, yes. right? <laughs> is that purposeful availment? Are there other things that I'm doing and I'm there, or is it just the fact that I'm there? without purposeful availment, that doesn't make any sense because you're going to meet with, it's a private meeting, whatever, it was in-house, it might be totally fine, but it's with some other people and we're all talking about the same stuff. All of a sudden it says, oh, you have physical presence. I mean, and then the question you raise is there purposeful availment. Well, and and think about having a remote employee. Why is that considered nexus? Give me a break in a way that no way that person's making a market. It's just a random, they can happen to work from home and we like them. That is not enough to create a duty, in my opinion. That should go away, in my opinion. Right. And, and, and it gets back to what's okay. physical presence. We're hoping we get some some hope in Wayfair, South Carolina. Remote employees. I mean, it still continues to be a major issue. I, I it, it, It's never good news when people ask me about it because I said, if you have people there, they're your employee. You've got all the duties. I don't know any rules. All the duties. Unclaimed right? property, yeah. payroll, sales tax, income tax. You're not subject to... All yeah. of it. 
Absolutely all of it. And I said, so decisions that we made three years ago will come back to bite you here. And then you have the question on a labor shortage issue. Can you afford to let these people go? Do you want to let them go? If they're a good worker, you absorb it just like anything else for a good good worker. They get extra benefits. If they're not, you want to get rid of them anyway. It's a perfect opportunity to do that. You kind of take a practical approach. But you're right. It was, you know, it was done for necessity purposes. And now it's just been yeah. And I was thinking that the average thing. cost of compliance just to be in a state is probably three to 5,000 a year for all the tax returns you got to file, all the duties you got to keep on top of. A lot of tech companies have no idea what that even means. You know, I mean, some people are just a pure remote. I mean, obviously, I don't even, are you the state? I just read an article, you know, how we don't have enough housing and they're thinking of taking over office towers and making them residential because there's just, we need more yeah, human. No, we need, of course, these weren't built for a lot of toilets, a lot of sinks, a lot of whatevers, but we're, you know, we're not staying in our office. It's a shelter. <laughs> right. It's a shelter that, that in um, shopping malls for pickleball courts, that's the two big things of real estate right now. If you, <laughs> yeah, it's good use of real estate. There's kind of vacancy tendency rates are way down repurpose, redo it. I'm okay with that. Makes right, sense to me. Right, because you're not going to implode the building uh, but, and bring it all down and start fresh. Right. No, way more expensive to do that. Although if anybody's done home construction, sometimes it would have been easier to knock it all down and start fresh. Suppose uh-huh. to remodel I know that feeling. I live in an 1895 Victorian. Our contractor's like, you see that building next door that got built from the ground up? Much easier than what I'm dealing with. Figuring out your attitude. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> All right, Jordan. So I guess as we do wrap up, is there any, do you have any parting words, anything that you think our listeners should be left with other than your phone number for when states are really screwing things up? And I didn't realize you do litigation (laughs) all over. So you'll do, you'll, you'll take a case all over the country, not just in Illinois where you guys are headquartered. As active as Illinois is from time to time, um, I like the diversity of not working just in Illinois. And I'm not worried about Illinois being flush with money anytime soon. So we'll always be looking for additional revenue. But I, I, I like working all over. It's just more fun going to see other people, different laws, different courts, different judges, different local counsel. It's just yeah. fun to do it that way. And that's something I've been fortunate of. And since I've started practicing, I've been able to go outside of Illinois, which is, and I would say, Illinois may be my single largest state. It's close, but it's certainly, maybe 20% wow. of my business. That's a really so, big deal though, because part of the reason I'm a lawyer right. that I never went to a law firm was being limited by licensure and feeling like people have troubles across the nation. I need to help them. Right. And, um, and, and you don't always find that if you're too siloed and there's certainly enough within a home state to like keep you busy, but it's the differences that you look at and then cost compare that helps you create better policy. Honestly, like look how Texas is doing this. So, and so I tell Colorado all the time, you see Texas, is collecting on behalf of like 1,714 jurisdictions, California 256. We can't figure this out. What is wrong with us? And we're a very small state. So. Oh, yeah. No, and we're like that as well. And we're a bigger state, but we have the same local jurisdiction issue. Um, you know, but it's interesting, just uh, on aside from say text, Paul Franco, and it's kind of funny how many people don't remember Paul, but Paul litigated around the country. And what he said is, I've got a network of really great friends that I trust and I get local counsel everywhere that I go. And I, that's what our practice is. I learned that was mentored by him. And so there's great people like you in Colorado that I can always reach out to and say, what's going on? Can you help me with this? There's plenty of work for everybody. All right. And it's just, it's the ability to have that network and state local tax people around the country. We're a 
different breed. I think it's better. I think it's great. But we're a very close-knit community that generally enjoys each other's company, yeah. presence outside of work. There's and certainly about a mindset, though, just that I think. Obviously, you're a CPA. I'm a CPA and attorney. Like, that's a kind of common mindset in the state and local area, I think, a lot of times. Because there, there's just so many it bits is. and pieces of the compliance that you kind of need to understand. But so, in addition to understand the legal issues at hand, you know? Interesting. Exactly. But I think there does exactly. have to be that spirit of collaboration no. because you can't know everything in every jurisdiction. It's impossible. So you have to re can't. reach out to those local experts. No, and, and the thing that you see being tripped up on, it was a case just in Ohio, I think it was, where they failed to preserve an argument that was the best argument. The Ohio Supreme Court ruled against it because they didn't preserve it. Local rules, local procedural rules are so important. And I won't go into a state without contacting a friend in that state saying, okay, mm -hmm. here's what here's what your role is. I need you to get filed. I need you to do this. You need to advise me of what's unique about right. your process, your procedures, California, New Jersey, Oregon, Ohio. They all have these little quirks and you got to reach out to yeah, your network Yeah, we recently lost our arbitration because we didn't know there was a 20-day rule for factual disputes. Not anywhere in writing, but we were pronounced. Yeah, no, it, it, exactly. And that's why you kind of go in, you know, with kind of defenseless, mm -hmm. certainly behind the local person that you're fighting against when you don't know the, and you can't know all the, pro the local ones. You have yeah. to rely, rely upon others. But I, I do want to make this one comment. I want to put everybody on notice. We're going to see a lot, and we've seen oh my a gosh, lot more right? audits going on. And I was kind of mm -hmm. sitting down and thinking about that. Well, if you think about it, despite the pandemic, 2021 and 22 were banner years for businesses. They were tough years for states to adapt. Businesses adapted, a lot of M&A action, a lot of stuff going on in those period of time. The states actually took a step back because their auditors right. were used to going to places, couldn't go anywhere, right? So they're trying to catch up on all those years, all those big transactions, the increase in business, the craziness that surrounded remote selling, remote workers in 21, 22. They think there's a big boon out there that will take them through the next five years. And right now they're trying to step up and go after those years. So anybody thinks, well, it's been quiet, I would say be on notice. Yeah. Audits are going to step up and the ability automation, right. Teams, Zoom, all the video conferences that we use right now, they are used by the states as well. I, you know, one of the things that we used to do, you go to a state, you say, I'm going to be in the state. Can we get together? It's almost impossible to do that with your clients no. now because they're not all at no. work. It's a lot tougher, no. right? Auditors don't need to be at the corporate headquarters anymore. It's all from secure rooms offsite where you download information. That's a heck of a lot easier than trying to figure out how you're going to be in Oregon yeah. and Texas no, that's on the a same really day. interesting shift. And obviously, you're even seeing litigation. My husband's a litigator, and he's like, oh, I have something, a hearing. And he's like, oh, it's remote. I'm like, I don't even have to show up. So he forgets that some things are in person and some things aren't, but it allows all the participants not to have to fly in um, in order to meet. Uh, so he's, you know, it's been a funny pivot for him because, um, you know, obviously things were that way during COVID, but now they're continuing that way as well. It's just easier. Right, because there's certain status conferences. Right. There's no reason to go to court. If Correct. it's dispositive, evidentiary, different reasons to get to the face, you, never, you, you see coaching, you see other things. But, you know, uh, for court cases, every couple of months, you got a status that you show up for. And they go, well, how's it going? Oh, we're still talking about our stipulation facts. 30 seconds. And then you move on. Okay, I'll set it for another 60 days. No, there's no reason no. to have to it's, be it, in Which is a benefit, anymore. I think. And the same thing from the state side. 
States, like you get an IDR, they send it to you, they put it in the, in the secure, mm -hmm. right? The secure messaging, right? You download it with your information. They look at it from wherever they want to. It's just more efficient and they can do a lot more auditors, a lot more audits because it's just going into right. a digital file somewhere, not physically yeah. looking no, at documents. it's kind of amazing. And We're so in the, the middle of a Pennsylvania audit for one. I think this could be another point too, where they were, you know, kind of traditionally viewed as like a professional services firm, but, you know, kind of using computers as their backing. So in Pennsylvania though, there's kind of a carve out for kind of generally stuff associated with a computer, but we're getting audited and, you know, we had to upload SOWs, whatnot to the portal. And then there's some like, yep, we can just immediately send them down to Harrisburg because they're the ones making all of the decisions. Like I'm local auditor. I'm basically collecting all the data, but I have it right here. It's going to go somewhere else. And there's like the, the Pennsylvania Department of Revenue brain trust sitting in Harrisburg. That's going to make all the decisions quick, in, you know, with a lot of available information because it's all online. No, and think about the digital room, the SharePoints. The states now have the ability, and there was some talk about this before, and it got rolled out. They know by industry, right? That's what they should be doing. By industry, kind of what things should look like, what margins should be, what taxes should look like, what this will look like based upon your size and what you're doing. And they should be able to figure things out because it's, it's like AI. AI isn't art. Mm -hmm. It's not intelligence. It's the ability to mm -hmm. know more stuff at the same time, right? That's, I mean, that's what the great kind of fallacy. It's not, they're not thinking on their own. The computers just have right, more information than anybody's capable of mm -hmm. and are able to. So they can assimilate exactly. it so you can look at it. Yep. One auditor does 10 audits of booksellers. Okay. That's the only knowledge they have. The computer has done a thousand audits of booksellers, has all that much information, all that much data from all the different audits, and does then saying, here's our standard. This is where the range people should be in. This is what we're looking for. And if you're outside that range, they could they could zero audit right away. And that's, that just makes it easier. That's why more people will be getting audits, not just the Fortune 500, Fortune 1000, Fortune 5000, but smaller people because they can identify the one source spot that this particular business has. So we're all going to start seeing these kind of electronic notices and electronic audits. It makes some sense. And if you go to any of the conferences put on by FTA, Masada, Masada, Mistoa, CETA, uh, the thing they talk about more than anything else is automation. Everything's about systems, about needing less people to do more. And that's why we're going to see more and more of this because it makes sense. Well, that's where that, we're going. Jordan, as a world. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your time today. <laughs> Don't tell me it's we over. could do a part three in another 15 months, <laughs> mid 24. Just keep coming back. Um, it's just so easy to talk to you guys. There's true. so much going it's on. It's fun to know that you still have so much enthusiasm too because. It's such, I felt last year when I found out about our vendor fee in Colorado, I was like, I quit. I can't take this because I didn't know about it. Normally, I know things like that, but it was a transportation bill yeah. that it got passed. No one knew about it in the in the tax community. Department of Revenue was tasked on enforcing it. They don't want to tell anybody because they didn't know what they're going to do with it. And then we all find out in April and it was effective July. I'm like, I quit. How am I going to tell my clients how to figure this out? You know, that sort of stuff makes me crazy. Right. That no, no, I'm you know, we would have that little notice. 
you know, to implement a 27 cent, which is now 28 cents. So, and now Minnesota's doing it. I mean, some of that makes me a little like, oh my gosh, how do I help the clients? Like, how are they going to do this? So those are things that are challenging. Well, but think, but you have to put yourself on the other side. Okay. But on the other side, you have to help your clients because yeah. there's no way they'll figure it out. So, right. You know, and someone, I had a, a I was a biz dev guy a bunch of years ago. And he said, do you feel like you do a good job? I go, yeah, I do a good job. Do you feel like you help your clients? Yeah, I think I help my clients. Then you should keep doing it and tell them that you can do it for them. You're, we get compensated very well. No complaints about it. But you're also giving one heck of a great service to your clients and the people that you work with. Well, it's funny. You, you think I have a, a client. Say they're a $10 million company. And you know, you're looking at, what, 80000 of risk. No, 80000 on a million. How much is the tax on under? Ten million. Is it eighty eight hundred thousand a year? Eight hundred thousand arrests. Eight hundred thousand. And you're talking about not that's spending. For, that's I mean, give me a year. break. Like you don't understand what you're putting out there. That's for, you got to get your act around this. But there is this perception of like it's a pass through, or it's it should be simple, easy peasy, and it's like no, it's not. So shame on you for checking the same box and it's thinking it's only be applied a, universally across our nation. So it's only a pass through if you <laughs> right? pass it through. You know, 8% is a nice profit right? margin for a lot yeah. of businesses. To take your profit margin and hand it over to the locals, hand yeah. it over to the state. Yeah. All right. Well, this is well. another episode of Saltivation. Till next time. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended, nor should it be relied upon as legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Should consult with a competent professional to discuss specifics of your situation and the applicability of the information presented.